What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Leanne Caldwell, an anchor at Washington Post Live and also co-author of the Early 202 newsletter. Today, we have another installment of Across the Aisle, and joining me are two senators, one Republican, one Democrat. We have Maine Republican Susan Collins and uh, Wisconsin Democrat Tammy Baldwin. Thank you both so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure. And to our audience, before we get started, of course, we want to hear from you. So if there are any questions you have for the senators, feel free to tweet at us and we will try to get them asked. So, senators, we have you on today because of this landmark legislation that is going to be signed into law tomorrow uh, regarding same-sex marriage. Um, So, Senator Baldwin, I want to start with you. This really came about after the Dobbs decision about abortion and part of uh, Clarence Thomas's uh, decision, he implied that perhaps same-sex marriage is not a protected right. Um, So can you talk about, after you read that or heard that, who was the first phone call you made? Well, let me also go beyond the concurring opinion by Uh, Justice Thomas that called out uh, the marriage equality case. Um, Because the underlying reasoning of the Supreme Court in Dobbs was to say that Roe versus Wade was wrongly decided in the first place. And uh, so nearly 50 years ago, uh, that landmark case was wrongly decided. And it makes you want to look at what other cases were decided based on similar uh, constitutional and legal reasoning. And you get to contraception access, you get to uh, uh, the interracial marriage case, you get to Obergefell, all of which were decided on equal protection and due process, 14th Amendment um, bases, and on a, on a, a right to privacy and liberty. That, um, that when, when that case came down, it sent shutters through uh, the LGBTQ community uh, for sure, because it really put at risk uh, the certainty that their marriages uh, that are recognized today would be recognized in the future should the uh, Supreme Court revisit uh, Obergefell or these other cases that we were describing. So that's a great summary. So tell me about, you know, you are the first openly gay senator. Um, So this impacts you personally as well. So can you tell me, did you make a call to uh, a loved one or did you call a fellow senator to try to see what could be done? And for that senator phone call or aid phone call, can you tell tell me a little bit about that, kind of go into there and, you know, what sort of conversation there was? Yeah, so let me start by saying that I, I, even though the decision was leaked in the Dobbs case, having it uh, uh, you know, reported out was still shocking. And, um, and there was a lot of just 
wow, this really happened. We really have half of America now are, are second class citizens, and it has implications beyond that. And I kind of got to work in the sense of um, what are we going to do to safeguard uh, uh, marriage equality, uh, to safeguard interracial marriages, and to look at the other uh, other cases that are implicated in the Dobbs decision. And uh, so I would say, and among my first conversations were actually with um, uh, with lawyers who could uh, help advise on what uh, what we should be drafting uh, to try to get through the political process to safeguard these uh, in the, in this case um, these marriages. Mm -hmm. Senator Collins. Um, there are many Republicans who said that same-sex marriage is not in jeopardy, and so perhaps this wasn't even necessary. So can you talk about why you got involved in, in these negotiations and these discussions? Well, like most people, I know same-sex couples. They are our family members, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, and I started hearing from them a real sense of concern that there was now a cloud over their marriages. They wondered how it would affect visitation rights at a hospital, inheritance rights. Uh, if they have children, whether it would affect their parental rights. I can't tell you how many same-sex couples have come up to me since we got this bill passed literally with tears in their eyes, saying that I, through my work with Tammy and the wonderful coalition that we had, had lifted a burden from them. So that's who I first heard from. It was constituents, it was friends, it was coworkers who felt that their marriages were at risk of being no longer valid. Senator Collins, did you think there was going to be an uphill battle in trying to pass legislation, this legislation? Well, I knew it wouldn't be easy, and it certainly was anything but easy. But I was very encouraged when the House passed by more than 40 votes originally, the Respect for Marriage Act. And in talking with my Republican colleagues, and with Tammy, I felt that if we could come up with some language that made it clear that we were not in any way weakening religious liberties and that we respected people who had views that were different from mine, for example, on same-sex marriages, that we could in fact get the bill over the finish line. And we had a wonderful group in the Senate. Senator Baldwin was our leader, uh, Senator Tillis, Senator Portman, Senator Sinema, and I, who really worked extremely hard to persuade our colleagues on both sides of the aisle that we could advance both religious liberty and the rights of the LGBTQ community. And we did. Senator Baldwin, you know, was that religious liberty component um, in these negotiations that seemed to be the most difficult part of these negotiations? So can you talk about the friction there? And if this if this, um, you know, final product provides enough uh, protections for LGBTQ 
families and marriages? Yes, so the original version of the Respect for Marriage Act um, essentially would have left the status quo unchanged with regard to religious liberties. But as you know, uh, my colleagues on both sides of the aisle, but certainly on the Republican side, hear from constituents and uh, opponents to marriage equality um, who suggest otherwise. And I think it's really important where we could clarify in the bill. Um, and so they had something to point to when their constituents uh, suggested that there would be some curtailment of religious liberties. That that's what it, we needed in order to um, build the larger coalition that ultimately got us 12 Republican votes in the United States Senate. It was in many cases just adding clarity that uh, this was a measure that would not change anything with regard to religious liberty. And then that extra step of saying that people do have a, a wide range of views on this um, issue. And, uh, and, and that uh, is something you know, that we, we can understand and respect. Senator Collins, you told my colleague Liz Goodwin uh, in a story that she wrote about this, about a moment when Senator Schumer decided not to put legislation on the floor before the election. Can you talk about, for our audience, how important um, that was and what that meant? Well, Senator Baldwin and I went to see Senator Schumer. I believe it was about mid-September around September 15th. And we have been counting votes and it was looking good. But what we were hearing from those on my side of the aisle was a fear that Senator Schumer would try to use this vote for political purposes in the upcoming midterm elections. So we went to see Senator Schumer and we asked him to delay the vote until after the election. And I know this was very hard uh, for Senator Baldwin, uh, for Tammy, but it was the right thing to do. Much to my surprise, he readily agreed. And it, he told us that he had a very personal stake in this legislation and he's been very open about that. Uh, he has a daughter who is married to another woman and they're about to, uh, they're expecting their first child, very joyous occasion. So for him, it was very personal rather than political. So he agreed to our request. I will concede that uh, until I knew the personal part of it, I was dubious and shared a lot of the concerns of my Republican colleagues that this could be used for political reasons. And it's it shouldn't be. And fortunately, Chuck Schumer uh, recognized that. Senator Baldwin, were you surprised that you were able to get the support of 12 Republicans? And do you think that that number went up because the vote was after the election? Well, my view is that uh, that we had uh, enough votes um, uh, to pass the bill back in September. But as you know, 
Senate process is rather complicated. And I think that we might have seen uh, the bill filibustered before even got to the Senate. Um, and so it was helpful to take that pause so that we could keep our group together uh, when we returned after the election. And I was glad that we were able to uh, move it, um, you know, as quickly as we, uh, as we did. Um, this is, uh, you know, folks stayed firm. And even though we had a week-long interval between, uh, during the Thanksgiving recess, um, where there was a lot of pressure put on the 12 uh, Senate Republicans who helped us advance the bill, um, people stuck together. And that is um, uh, a tribute to uh, my work with Susan Collins and uh, Rob Portman, Kirsten Cinema, and Tom Tillis, who really kept in communication and answered questions. And frankly, we were working on, on uh, perfecting the substitute uh, until the very end. Senator Collins, I'm going to ask you kind of the flip side of that question. Do you think that um, that there needs to be more than 12 Republicans? Were you surprised that there weren't more Republicans who did sign on to this even after an election? I thought we might get additional Republicans, uh, but I was very happy that we got 12. 12 not 10. 10 is what you need to overcome a filibuster and that we got in excess of that. And then eventually 39 uh, Republicans on the House side, I think is a good vote. It wasn't a vote where we got exactly the number that we needed in order to avoid a filibuster. And I thought that that was important. Senator Baldwin, this legislation does not codify same-sex marriage. What it does is it um, ensures that couples that are married, um, that that will be recognized in any state in the country um, if they go to that state, regard regardless of what the state does. Um, why not codify same-sex marriage? Why didn't the legislation do that? Well, it's really, uh, that would be most precedent setting from the perspective that the federal government uh, doesn't regulate marriage. You go to your local uh, county courthouse to get your marriage license, it's all governed at the state level. And in fact, there's some modest differences from state to state with regard to marriage law. You also don't go to federal court to get a divorce. Uh, you go to state court, right? So this is an, an, an institution that is totally regulated at the state level. To write a law um, that uh, at the federal level to create a new federal right to marry um, would be uh, quite an undertaking. And, and I want to also just say that, um, you know, one of the reasons why it was important to write the law we did is that um, at the federal level, the uh, Defense of Marriage Act is still on the books, or at least it is until tomorrow when President Biden signs the Respect for Marriage Act. We've repealed that in this legislation. What it would have meant is had Obergefell, the case establishing marriage equality, had that been overturned by an activist Supreme Court, the Defense of Marriage Act would have been federal law and it would have meant the federal government um, uh, would not recognize same-sex marriages. Um, also, uh, we have 35 states today that either have 
uh, constitutional amendments or laws defining marriage as a relationship between a man and a woman. And uh, therefore, again, if Obergefell were struck down, those laws would be back in effect. That is until we've passed the Respect for Marriage uh, Act into law. So um, I, we did uh, what we needed to do to protect existing and future same-sex marriages and interracial marriages, um, but without creating a new federal uh, oversight of marriage law. And Senator Collins, are you confident that if this were to be challenged in the courts and to the Supreme Court, that this law would hold up? The law that we've written, is yes. that what you're saying? Yes. I mean, I've learned not to make predictions about what the Supreme Court is going to do, but I believe that this is clear a, a statement of legislative intent, federal law, uh, would be upheld. I, I would also mention that it, with the, uh, Justice Thomas's comments, no other justice joined in those comments, raising concerns about the basis for the Obergefell decision, but this does provide an extra layer of protection. And I think the point that the Defense of Marriage Act, which I would note was signed into law by a Democratic president, remains on the books, is something that we needed to remedy. And so there was confusion. Yeah, a lot's changed in... Uh almost 30 years, 30 years, I guess. Um, Senator Collins, you've been part of many gangs, working groups that have led to bipartisan legislation in the, this past Congress. Um, you know, there's the CHIPS Act, infrastructure, same-sex marriage. Um, there's a whole list of things. Is this how Congress should work moving forward, or is this a symptom of a broken Congress? Groups of senators coming together across the aisle uh, can get things done. We've shown that with the infrastructure bill. We've shown it with the Respect for Marriage Act. Uh, the Asian American hate crimes bill is another example. The 2020, December 2020 COVID bill and the work that Joe Manchin and I have done on the Electoral Count Act is yet another example. Now. Ideally, I believe that proposals that are developed by uh, groups of people working across the aisle should go through the committee process. That's how you get the best legislation. But right now, we have very little time left in this Congress. So I think it's understandable that in the case of the Respect for Marriage Act, which after all was the process of months of work, uh, the fact that it did not go through the committee process does not trouble me. Senator Baldwin, um, I have to ask about one of your colleagues who is also a member of most of the gangs and working groups, Senator Kirsten Cinema. She left the Democratic Party on Fridays to become an independent. 
Do you expect um, her, how she works in the Senate to change? Do you have any sort of reaction to that? Do you think it's a loss for the Democratic Party? Well, I would say, uh, uh, paraphrasing others, that uh, her party registration just aligns uh, better with who she is as an independent leader. Um, uh, Kirsten Cinema has been uh, very independent as a leader in the United States Senate. Um, and I think that uh, as far as uh, the Democratic majority, um, it pretty much unchanged. We have two other independent members already who caucus with the Democrats. And um, uh, that Angus King from Maine, uh, Susan Collins' counterpart, as well as Bernie Sanders from Vermont. Uh, so I think day to day things will be uh, unchanged. But I really think that the independent uh, label is very much reflective of who Kirsten Sinema is in the Senate. Mm -hmm. And Senator Collins, you mentioned another bipartisan piece of legislation in your last answer, the Electoral Count Act. Um, we are still waiting to hear what happens with that, if it's going to be attached to some sort of end of year must pass legislation like government funding. Time is running out. How confident are you that that legislation, and to remind our audience, would work to ensure that another January 6th um, does not happen again to clarify the role of the vice president, et cetera, on that day. How confident are you to that this will be passed before the end of this year? And we also know that the House does not love the Senate version of the bill. It's imperative that this bill become law before the end of the year. And there are very few bills of this nature that are co-sponsored by both the Republican Senate leader and the Democratic Senate leader. We have 38 co-sponsors. This is a bill that we've worked on since January. It did go through committee after our gang uh, produced the bill. It went through the Rules Committee and uh, Senators Klobuchar and Blunt made some changes in it. It had a hearing, it had a markup, and it was approved with only one dissenting vote, 14 to one. So to me, this is an ideal way that a bill should become law, and it was subject to careful consideration. I'm glad the House has also shown interest in reforming this archaic 1887 law that has a lot of ambiguous provisions in it that were exploited on January 6th. So we need to fix the law, and I believe the best way to do it is for the Senate law, the Senate bill to become law. The House bill would not be approved over here in the Senate. So let's take a short thing that has widespread bipartisan support and get it signed into law before the presidential cycle starts in earnest uh, next year. That's my gotten, I'm yeah, sorry. Have you gotten have you gotten any commitment from leaders that it will be attached to the funding bill, that it will be signed into law before the end of the year? 
I've certainly talked to leaders on both sides of the aisle about this bill and about the importance of the becoming law. I'm agnostic as to whether it's included in the year-end funding bill, the omnibus bill that I hope we will still get, or whether it goes across the floor as a separate bill. Uh, but we've got to get this done, and we don't have much time to do it. Senator Baldwin, next year, Republic Democrats are going to control the Senate. Republicans are controlling the House. Is there any sort of legislation you think, other than government funding, if that's even able to reach the president's desk, but that will be able to pass both houses of Congress? Well, we were just talking about uh, all the bipartisan measures that have passed in uh, uh, in this last Congress. It is a, an exceptional amount of work that has been done on infrastructure, on chips, on respect for marriage, on uh, gun safety. Uh, it, the list is quite long, some of which was produced in committee, uh, some of which was uh, commenced by uh, gangs of six or 12 or whatever. Um, I see no reason why that cannot continue uh, in um, the circumstances of a, uh, a Republican uh, slim majority in the House and a Democratic slim majority in the Senate. Um, we know in the Senate uh, we can't pass substantive legislation shy of 60 votes. So we're already only sending bipartisan legislation over to the House no reason why we can't work together uh, to uh, uh, advance it. Great. And I think that's all we have time for. Senators Baldwin, Senator Collins, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, are you both going to the signing ceremony tomorrow at the White House? You bet. You bet. Sure. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I enjoy the conversation always. And um, thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.